Welcome again to the first 2021 version of the Southwest Climate Podcast. Mike Crittens. Hey, Zach. Happy 2021. Yeah, we, uh, it's been uh, since mid, mid-December since we've had a podcast. It doesn't seem like that long, but yeah, this is the, the new year. Hopefully we can usher in some, some wetter conditions for this upcoming year because if I recall, Mike, our last podcast was more of the same, more gloom and doom, but I'm feeling pretty optimistic. How are you feeling? Cautiously optimistic? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be optimistic, but that's there's there's not a lot of reason behind it at this point, climate-wise. So Fair we'll, enough. We'll I'm talk just, about that today, yeah. I'm just uh, trying to be optimistic for the sake of optimism. No, I'm with you, man. 2021, it's all about optimism. Okay, great. Well... Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, all of January has passed um, since our uh, last podcast. And let me just set the tone here uh, because we came in December uh, with a continuation of the of, of the dry condition. So as everybody remembers, there was a failed monsoon. It was followed by an equally dry fall and, and early winter. And, and, and we talked about drought conditions expanding, you know, in, in mid-December. Uh, we noted the U.S. Drought Monitor classifying a large fraction of Arizona with exceptional drought conditions. I think something like 75% of the state had been in, in the highest category, which at the time was uh, near record for the U.S. Drought Monitor in terms of, uh, of, of, of how much area in Arizona was classified as, as drought uh, with exceptional drought. Nonetheless, uh, whether or not that, that is the, the right way to think about drought conditions is, is, is a side point, Mike. Obviously, we were in sort of a, 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 bleak, a bleak state. So we also talked about La Nina, this developing La Nina, which didn't bode well either. Okay, so that was sort of where we were at the last podcast. We're a month, month and a half later. Mike, what's happened in January? Do we have any good news to, to to present? Yeah, I mean, we did. Just like you characterized, coming out of that just epically bad monsoon, fall didn't really give us much. I was really, really concerned. And unfortunately, I still remain pretty concerned that the La Nina situation, uh, the La Nina event that's underway is really going to take the wind out of our sails in any kind of, kind of trajectory for drought recovery. So we, you know, I think when we talked in December, we had, in Tucson anyways, we really only had two two rain events, two small rain events, one in November, one in December. And I'm not sure we caught the one in December and talked about it. But so looking forward, January and February and March are typically the kind of the key months for precipitation accumulation across the Southwest. And they're also when you see that La Nina effect really show up in the historical records, meaning that it would probably bring those months down as far as precipitation may be below average. But we squeaked out a pretty impressive precipitation event in sort of the light, the later half, probably third week, kind of even through the end of the month, precipitation-wise for the Southwest. And really kind of a really unique set of kind of different events that all kind of merged together. Before we talk about that, by my recollection, there were more or less two events that happened in January that uh, we can unpack a little bit. And they, they, they happened kind of back to back, although I'm not sure atmospherically that they were the same event, but, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, if there's more uh, noteworthy events to talk about, um, but there was 
I believe it was an atmospheric river in the around January 20th that dumped a whole bunch of, of rainfall in the sort of Yuma area and a little bit in Southeast, a little less so, but in, but still quite a bit in Southeast uh, Arizona at the sort of border with, with Mexico. And it, that event sort of stayed in the, in the Southern tier. And then fast forward like five, six days. And then there was actually another event that dropped quite a bit of snow actually in the high country and more widespread uh, rainfall around uh, Arizona and, and, and New Mexico. Were there, were there other events that we ought to, to flag for, for, for January? Those were kind of the, the main, their main ones. There, there was a, another, another trough moved through the Southwest towards the, the, actually the last week of the month. And it kind of was all part of this unsettled weather pattern that settled in where we were getting sort of a really progressive jet stream pattern and some waves of low pressure systems coming through. But the, but the ones that you described were kind of the big ones, um, especially for Arizona. And I think that they did give some, some precipitation for some of the four corner states in uh, really Arizona taking the, the brunt of it in a, in a good way, precipitation wise with that colder event. So let's take let's look at that first event that the the Yuma event as I'm calling it. something like an inch a little bit more than an inch fell in Yuma which is a a huge event for them yeah and there's even reports of higher um, you know we've looking at sort of the rain log network and some of the other volunteer observer networks there's some multi-day totals that are up over two inches there was some radar estimated precipitation that put three four five inches of total precipitation between the 19th and the 21st in Northern Mexico and Northern Sonora. So just sort of South East of the Yuma area. It was a closed low pressure system sort of dropped down the front of this ridge that's been persistent in the East Pacific. And so that really meridional jet stream pattern caused this low to sort of drop straight South. And then it got, it wasn't quite cut off, but it was such that the jet stream pattern wasn't gonna move it forward very quickly. So having it sort of spin in Southern California had a nice southerly, sort of southwesterly southerly flow that was able to tap into some deep subtropical moisture and kind of weave it through some of the mountain ranges of Baja and also use the Gulf of California as sort of a way to guide up moisture, low level moisture. And so just, just having that access to low level moisture, the low pressure system itself and its slow movement just caused you know rain bands to just continue to to rain over the same areas and so that that normally you know think of this this part of the country is some of the the driest places in the whole all of North America and so for this area to get that many inches over just a couple days in the middle of winter was really really quite impressive right but these kinds of events they they they, they happen I mean that the, the overall pattern wasn't that wasn't uncommon the location maybe was more on, on the location of the precipitation was maybe more uncommon, right? Yeah, you know, and, and this, so I was even kind of stepping back and thinking about this from like a La Nina winter, you know, so we've got a very mature La Nina event. It's definitely showing its, its muscle across all of the Pacific Ocean, the atmosphere is engaged. And in those um, winters, what you do see, and we were talking about this sort of reading in the literature is that kind of the, the typical responses uh, across the whole Pacific Ocean that the mid-latitude jet stream 
is it re, it's moved back uh, further west and retracts a little bit. So the, the storm track across the Pacific ends up having this little flip towards the northwest in the middle of the Pacific. And that often guides those storms into the Pacific Northwest. And we see that as a kind of a persistent ridge of high pressure in the East Pacific. But what can happen with that pattern is that that ridge on the front side of a ridge is a trough, right? And so sometimes that whole wave pattern can get unstable and you can have these um, low pressure forms systems that form on the front of that wave. And if the wave is really high amplitude, they can, it's kind of like a breaking wave they can drop really far south and then they can move very slowly. So we'll see those a lot in the Southwest, but if they're inland, they tend to just kind of move through the area and create some wind to cool down in temperatures and that's it. And so we see that a lot during um, normal winters and during La Nina winters, but this one was so high amplitude that it was able to reach um, a low enough latitude that it was able to pick up some moisture that was just to the South. And that, that, that changes the character of these, these events that you don't even notice into big rainers. Was it that ridge was 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 pushed a little bit toward the the west? Yeah, I think so. Cause that that whole ridge can kind of it'll what it'll do is it'll kind of advance and retract, you know, with all sorts of other weather patterns globally kind of nudging it. And and I think that's that's just what you saw. And so we had seen in the early part of the fall and through the fall this pattern as well, you know, where the ridge would kind of advance on us and we'd warm up and then the ridge would retract and we'd be in the cool northwesterly flow. You'd have those low pressure systems that would drop down the front side of the ridge. They'd be inland and they would be dry and they really wouldn't do much other than cool us down. You know, this one got so high amplitude that the low kind of broke off. It didn't totally break off, but it was close and so slow enough that it reached in and, and got some, got some moisture. And that kind of set the stage for the next event after that as well. well. Hold on, before we go there, we need a little atmospheric dynamics 200 for me. So <laughs> what is causing that ridge to, to move or, 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 or to break down? Is it, is it actually caused by the low toward the, the, north, uh, the northwest? Is it like, that, that, like a, a big low pressure system that's moving that's disrupting the high, or is it something to the south that's causing the high to, to move that enables um, that sort of very meridional uh, pattern of the jet stream uh, and that and the low pressure to sort of move into our, our area? I think it depends, and it would depend on kind of the upstream forcings. And so that wave pattern across the Pacific, it'll be influenced by the jet in the far, far Western Pacific. And so the dynamics that are going on there and then the dynamics across the Pacific. And then there's, if there's any other sort of weather patterns that it might be interacting with and as well as sort of downstream things that can happen too, that can block up the weather, the, the wave pattern and kind of impacted upstream. So I don't have a real good diagnosis of this particular event other than sort of watching and looking at some of the watching that event develop and looking at some of the, the previous weather maps that we had, we had pulled up and just looking at that sort of ridge position prior to the event, the amplitude of the ridge and where that low is sort of developing and coming down the front side of the ridge during that event. This event that we're talking about was relatively a warm event. Yeah. Cause it was tapping in that subtropical moisture. 
this was like the beginning. Like we hadn't seen any rain <laughs> in quite a while, right? And we only had those kind of two small events. So there was a lot of anticipation around it. And there was, you know, the models had picked up on a, this being a fairly wet event for much of Arizona. And the idea of the atmospheric river sort of, sort of tapping into some deep subtropical moisture so we could have high rainfall rates. And so us in Tucson were sitting tight with some pretty big expectation for some wet conditions, but it looked like the low went a, just a touch further south than was anticipated. So it's even a little bit further away from any, any cold air if there was any to, to deal with. And then it just kind of, it, it took the center of the precip bullseye and, and shifted them around. And so really only Southwest Arizona and far Southeast Arizona got any decent rain out of this event. And, North, and clearly Northern Mexico did as well. Okay, so fast forward like a week, six days, and the second event comes in. And this event is produces more widespread rainfall. And it's actually a very cold storm. Uh, here in Tucson, we actually had some snowflakes. The snow level was, what was the snow level at, Mike? Like 2,500 or was it a... Yeah, like, there are parts of the outskirts of Phoenix that saw, saw snow. So I think it got down to about two, 2,500, I think. Yeah, I think that was probably the lowest it got. And so this event isn't tapping as much uh, subtropical moisture. And it's, it's also in training a lot of cold air from the north. Yeah, I think it had a little bit of both. So, you know, it was a very cold core to the low pressure system, but then it was also able, there was still a little bit of a tap to the south. So that's, that's a good situation to produce a lot of snow. Cause you know, those, those cold lows themselves don't end up having a lot of moisture with them because they're cold, their ability to have that. So it's gonna end up being this, this interaction of those cold low pressure systems being able to draw some moisture up and wrap them, wrap the moisture around into the system themselves. And I think that's really what you saw here because it ended up putting down, you know, several feet of snow in parts of the high country Arizona. And it was interesting because it didn't really extend into East central Arizona. And I don't think New Mexico did as well with this particular event. It became more localized as far as where that heavy snow um, really fell. I mean, we really needed those, those, those events for Arizona. I'm looking at Tucson and like you said, it had been uh, just a couple events prior to uh, mid-January, mid-end of January. And yet, you know, if you go back all the way to October 1st, something like in Tucson at the, at the airport, close to three inches uh, on average falls. That event itself, those two events brought around an inch and, and that's helpful and all, but we're still way behind the eight ball uh, in many parts of, uh, in, in Tucson and in many other parts of, of the Southwest. So helpful, Mike, but we need a lot more of that in terms of if we're, if we're going to catch up to, to average at this point. Yeah. You know, and I, I guess I just want to make sure I kind of reinforce the idea that this sort of recent event really did favor Arizona more than it did New Mexico, right? I mean, so, and it was kind of like Southern California and even Southwest. Southwest Arizona is interesting because Yuma has had two pretty wet winters in a row now, maybe, maybe three. And so it's like, it's raining more in some of the drier parts of the state than it is in some of the wetter parts of the state. So it's been kind of on its head. Yeah, that the New Mexico did not do as well with this particular event. And it really was even north central Arizona and the Flagstaff areas ended up, Flagstaff and Prescott saw a ton of snow out of this event and pushed them up. But 
the some of the other high peaks in Arizona in the the far eastern sort of Mogollon Rim area didn't see as much snow out of this event, which was really kind of weird given how widespread it was. Yeah, I think that's that the, you just characterized well the, the spatial pattern of of January rainfall. So the the Flagstaff area, north central Arizona, slightly above the its average, the southwest corner, the Yuma area, much above its average, and and, and parts around the uh, the border with Mexico and in, in, in southern Arizona uh, above average. Everywhere else below average. So it's a mixed bag. It, it is a mixed bag. And it was, it was, you know, it's just surprising, you know, once the event occurred and we started to try to do some reconnaissance on, well, where did it help and where didn't it? it you know, just looking at some of the snow tail observations, the high elevation snow tails around Flagstaff had big jumps and some of them almost caught up to median for the beginning of, beginning of February. And I just assumed that the whole Mogollon Rim did well with this event. And it, it's stark on how bad it is like around sunrise and um, some of the other snow tail sites that are kind of on the New Mexico, Arizona border. Yeah. And I think maybe we should zoom out a little bit and, 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 and talk about the West here because the, the picture in terms of snowpack and, and, and rainfall across much of the West is a, is a picture of below average conditions. Snowpack, for example, you know, really the, the sort of North Central Arizona, the Flagstaff uh, area at this moment has one of the few places that are uh, above their median in all of the West. Eh, maybe that's, that's an overstatement. There's a few other places that are, that are close to average. For example, the San Juan Mountains uh, in, in Colorado, Upper Rio Grande uh, is is slightly above average, but but basically outside of that in Colorado and in Wyoming and in Utah, you know the main sources of the of the Colorado River, it's pretty darn dry so far. In in the Upper Colorado River Basin, looking at uh, the snowpack conditions uh, there, in fact, currently as of February third, the snowpack conditions in the Upper Colorado River Basin are actually at their lowest levels or close to their lowest levels they've been in the historical record. So there are some places that are, are ex extremely dry. I, I think it's worth saying that, you know, as you go further north in Colorado and, and Utah in particular, there's a lot more winter to be had up there. And sort of our pessimism tied to La Nina isn't so great uh, as you go further north. Nonetheless, you know, you always like to be ahead of the game at this moment, and, uh, and, and, and we're not. So I think the snowpack situation is, a, uh, is not a great one. It could be worse, but it's not a great one for, for the West. It's not encouraging. I had very low expectations for this winter anyways, and so I, I don't know. This, this event for here, though, right, for, for, for Arizona, or were you thinking like, you know, Colorado and, and, and Utah? And yeah, I was thinking more of Arizona and New Mexico. And I think it's it's a fair point that there is a lot of wind, you know, April, April one is typically peak snowpack, you know, for a lot of those locations. So you've got February, March as time to make runs on it. And La Nina is the, you know, the impact really does sort of decay um, as you go north across the southwest. So, you know, Utah and Colorado, historically, anyways, don't have a real strong La Nina connections. So you can end up having those storms kind of barrel through there and, and, and drop the snow. The, the outlooks from, you know, Climate Prediction Center, they're not particularly um, encouraging though, even for the upper basin 
Yeah, it's also worth saying, you know, the peak snowpack kind of in in in, in Arizona is a month earlier uh, on average than it is in, in Colorado and Utah. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at one of the snowtel sites here and the, the, the peak is around the end of February, uh, the peak and the median. Yeah. It feels a little weird to say that the winter is, winter feels like it's more in the, <laughs> behind us and in front of us for some weird reason. That, that's hard to say as a Vermonter and no. talking to you in just in February, but it certainly feels like that's the case. That's a good point because in Arizona, you know, quote unquote, peak snowpack is typically March 1st. So we got a couple weeks and, and we're not going to make it, you know, so, so the Arizona. Well, we got three weeks. Come on. We got, <laughs> we got three weeks and they don't look that wet. Let's just put it that way. You can talk about that later. So I, the Southwest isn't going to make it. The upper basin, you're right. It's got a little more time, got a little more chance, but there's this sneaky little thing here that is, is part of this year is that we had we had the dry, driest instrumental record um, monsoon very hot we had parched soils coming into this winter season so good quote unquote good snowpack or average snowpack is going to go into replenishing soil moisture and it's not going to do much at all for stream flow so like the only way to solve that situation would have would have been to have we needed to have record snowpack this year and then kind of wait and see how it would translate into stream flow. So like, even if, if again, Arizona is not going to do it, like we're, we're not going to make it the upper basin. If they pull off miracle March, awesome, April, magnificent may, whatever, that's fine. But I don't even know how that'll translate into stream flow. Um, it's, it's helpful water, you know, and it'll, it may help sort of stem some vegetation mortality and that kind of stuff. But the stream flow situation here is in a bad spot, even under, you know, some miracles happening in the next couple of months. It's, it's interesting about the monsoons interaction with, with, with the winter. And I think there was a recent paper out that, that talked about that the monsoon actually does play a role in, 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 in stream flow. And maybe, maybe that is, maybe that's not such a, a novel take, but I thought it was interesting because we, we tend to think that the winter conditions more of sort of the impacts in the monsoon season, but, but, but the, the rainfall in the monsoon season feeds back on the winter rainfall by through stream flow. The the research in the last couple of years is, you know, Connie Woodhouse's stuff too, you know, talking about fall moisture. And then that more recent paper talking about monsoon season, you know, it's like, it's a continuum of maintaining soil water that you can generate runoff. And so, you know, we're in kind of, this is a really unique situation, at least in the instrumental record, but you know, the bucket was dry. I mean, like the soil bucket is going into the winter had nothing in it. So everything we throw into it right now is just going into filling that bucket up. Well, and it, and it really calls for, with, with those conditions, it really calls for the need for uh, uh, an above average winter, just to get like average stream flow, for example. That's right. And that's why you see the stream flow forecasts are not good and they're getting worse, you know, as, as time goes on. So the other point I wanted to make is, so I was sort of tracking down this question about, you said that, you know, Arizona is not going to, not going to make up those deficits. And I was just looking at the, the data at, at, at Tucson, you know, we've, we've had about an, an inch of rain this winter and uh, from October through uh, April, we average here at Tucson around five inches. So, so the question is, are we going to get the additional four inches of rain? And so I went back in the, in, the instrumental record for the Tucson airport 
uh, dug in the 75 years of data. And Mike, how many of those 75 years do you think there were more than four inches of rain in the February, March, April period, which is the amount of rain that we would need to break even at, at the Tucson airport? Well, you, you slacked it to me. And so I have this in my, in my, in my mind. It was like, I don't know, it was like five or six? No, three. Three, oh. Yeah. All right, three out of 75. So, okay. So you're saying there's chance. <laughs> uh, but we can slice and dice up these numbers uh, even more. So, so the top three, the top three in terms of rainfall over the February, March, April period were all El Nino years. And the next three, so the top six, were also El Nino years. Yeah, none of them were La Nina, were they? None of them were La Nina. In fact, I, I, I ran out of time before I could get to the La Nina year. Uh, so I think you're right. I agree with you. And, and this anecdotal data point agrees with you as well. Yeah, I would love to be wrong, but this is, and I often am, um, but this is, I don't know, this just February, March, and April are not we're not gonna come anywhere close to average precip across the Southwest. I, I think this brings up a, a, a La Nina question, which is, you know, I'd, get, I'd gotten a couple emails, uh, particularly after those last two events uh, in, in late January, mid to late January. There, there were comments about, oh, this isn't characteristic of La Ninas. And I think we have to step back here and say that basically on average during a La Nina year, um, you know, we get 10 days of rain or, or, or around that time, around yeah. that number, uh, every single year, every single La Nina or on average during the La Nina and, and, and these things happen. Yeah. On average. And we, we have in the recent past, some even drier La Nina winters, 2017, 2018 was another La Nina. And it, and it was, you know, top into this point, quite a bit drier than what we're seeing right now. So we've, you know, the fact that we squeaked something out is not I don't, like you said, it's not necessarily unusual for a La Nina winter, but when we look at the winter as a whole, which is the way you need to, when you look at these La Nina events, when we get through the end of April, and we'll do this, it's not going to look great. And it'll, it'll be in the same class as those other La Nina, moderate to strong La Ninas for the Southwest. We tend to harp on, I think, uh, we jump on the El Nino, La Nina bandwagon pretty, pretty, um, pretty strongly, Mike. But I think there's reason to for, uh, particularly for La Nina. I mean, when you look at some of their statistics. So in the last 75 years, there's basically been an even split between the winters that have had uh, El Nino, the winters that have had an, a neutral conditions and, and, and a La Nina, about 25, 25, and 25. It's slightly, slightly different than that, but it's close. And the average during the La Nina is, is the lowest out of those three. You know, but also the variance is pretty low. The variability of those of the rainfall during a La Nina winter is 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 lower. So it's just it's just harder, I guess, to have that uh, uh, lucky winter in which it is a La Nina and uh, you end up getting uh, above average conditions. You know, the Southwest isn't a particularly wet place, <laughs> and so you know, it just the La Nina, as we talked about, it takes it takes some of those big storms kind of off, like the frequency of those big storms off the table. I think that's it. And you kind of explain the, the mechanisms, but statistically, you know, on average, so I looked at Tucson, Phoenix, I looked at the major cities here in the Southwest, Tucson, Phoenix, Flagstaff, El Paso, and, and Albuquerque. 
And uh, I just looked at the number of, of rainy days during the December, January, February period. I'm trying to get at this question, does, does the La Nina event take a few days of rain uh, off the table? Turns out it does, as you would expect. So average across those five uh, cities, uh, during a, a La Nina event, on average, there's about 11 rainfall days during the December, January, February period. Whereas the El Nino winters has 16. If we thought about the winters as, and, and looked at the, the neutral conditions as sort of like non-ENSO influenced uh, winters, the number of days is about 13. So right in the middle. So I think you're exactly right. Like we just, there's fewer storms that, that, that come down into our region. Therefore there's lower means and there is just, because there's fewer storms, there's lower variability around that mean. Uh, and you can look at a whole bunch of other statistics that all say the same thing. Brushing back up and reading some of these papers on ENSO and or El Nino La Nina impacts and impact on the the circulation patterns is that the that sort of classic El Nino response when you get that extended subtropical jet with the storm track kind of pointed at the southwest. That's a really efficient way of of bringing storm systems that actually produce precipitation into the southwest, whereas you know, if like if you were to count the number of like low pressure systems to even that are coming through the Southwest, a lot of those don't produce measurable precip. So it's they're just kind of qualitatively different than the kinds of storms that you get in um, a, a really good solid El Nino winter. Man, I want to see a good solid El Nino winter. I'm going to bring it up again. You know, 15, 16 really let me down. Two other questions. I'll just throw them out to you right now. We can take them one at a time. Did January matter in terms of drought, right? We got some rainfall. It was around average in some places. You know, did, did that matter? Did that, did that make a dent? Like we can talk about the, the drought picture in a minute. The second one is I'm just curious, Mike, if you have a, a 2020-21 looks like this year kind of analog. Okay, so that first question, did it matter? Yeah, I did. I mean, it, it, <laughs> all rain's good rain. Can't, can't turn her nose up at any of it. It was uh, numerous storms over multiple days. It's during the middle of the winter when most, when evapotranspiration is low and most vegetation is dormant. So that means it's actually going to go into recharging soil moisture. It put down a lot of snow at upper elevations. You know, it helped snowpack, not everywhere. So qualitatively, it's going to help improve soil moisture conditions that will be beneficial for vegetation that starts to try to grow in a couple of months as we, you know, as we warm up and we kind of break dormancy on that stuff. It, it might help on wildfire risk, but I'm not, I don't know. I think it's still, it's still pretty far out. This water right now, it could go deeper in the soil and stuff could dry out again. Like we, gosh, we have so many instances in the past where in good snowpack years, the snowpack gets eaten up by really warm conditions in March and you're into high fire risk and drought stress pretty quickly. So, so, I mean, it was helpful, but it was, we could lose a lot of the gains that we've made pretty quickly because we're going to probably dry out and warm up again. So, and my last point is too, is that snowpack is great as long as it melts slowly and is sustained into the spring and isn't sublimated. Cause if the atmosphere comes back and just takes the snow back into the atmosphere, it's, it's water lost in the system. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the improvement is reflected a little bit in the, the U.S. drought monitor. You know, most of Arizona, you know, 53% of it is still an exceptional drought, like their, their highest drought category. Uh, but that's down from about a month ago from uh, 73, 74%. So it's made some changes, particularly around that Yuma area, area where a lot of that, that first event rainfall fell. So, but yeah, we still have, you know, February to deal with and La Nina's a a moderate version of it. The forecast, which we'll talk about in a minute, doesn't look great for the next couple months, or sorry, for the next couple weeks, and and actually even further. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to keep an eye on it. But I think you're right, Mike. I, I do think that in a lot of ways we're in uh, a pretty unique situation here, coming out of the out of the summer season and 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 also into this uh, La Nina. So yeah. And so with that, Mike, what, do you have any analogs? Have you thought about? Uh, this year in relation to the past years for some insights? I had a hopeful analog going into it. And so I, I latched on in my brain to, and this was wish casting more than it was anything else. It was 2007, 2008, which was a, a pretty strong La Nina event where this, at least Tucson anyways, and some parts of the Southwest actually <laughs> it's so sad. The bar was so low. It still was a below average winter, but the frequency of the precip was, was more frequent than we've even seen this particular winter. So that was like where you had some similar events, um, like we just saw this last week, but you had a couple of them. And I think that that's maybe the best kind of La Nina winter you can squeak out for the Southwest. We're, we're not going to come close to that right now. I think you got I think you have a better analog, uh, in, in, in your mind. In my mind, it's 2011, 2012. Uh, and the analog is because I, I was looking at both the sea surface temperatures in the tropical Pacific and also the atmospheric indices, Southern Oscillation in, in, Index, and they had similar patterns. The sea surface temperatures weren't as strong as, as, you, as your analog, but the pattern of the, the atmosphere um, response was, was similar and pretty strong during the 2011, 2012. 2012 year. And then if you just look at, if, if, if that's an analog uh, and you look at just the, the, the Tucson airport as a, as a proxy, it's actually a better winter overall than the one that you suggested, but it's, it's, it's tipped very heavily by the early season and a, and a few large events. And if basically from January on, uh, there was few events and little and a few amounts of precipitation. So you know, if it, if it didn't get, uh, you know, one of one event of, of one inch and, and, and a couple other events that had, you know, half, three quarters of an inch, it would have been a, a, a much bleaker situation. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to say. I think both those analogs kind of paint a, um, uh, what's the word, Mike? Is bleak too strong of a word? <laughs> I've, I've used it. I've used it. Uh, I know. I'm tired. Way. I'm tired of, uh, I'm tired of saying it. It could, it could, it could you know, I'm like looking at your 2011, 2012, I just pulled up Flagstaff, you know, the, the storm activity, actually, they had a couple of events, February, March, and April in, you know, the Northern part of the state, which what's, you know, it's not unheard of for, for La Nina winters. Cause that, that signal is weaker um, as you go further North. So, so you don't get locked in. I think the Southern parts of Arizona and New Mexico, we lose our chances for winter precip. It kind of goes down every week as you get deeper into the spring. So, I mean, none of the outlooks, you know, and the outlooks aren't always right, 
but man, it would have to be something, you know, kind of miraculous at this point, I think. I mean, it's worth saying, although I think most of our listeners know, I mean, there's no predictive power in, 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 in one analog. You know, you try to do a little matching to, to see if there's anything that you can glean from it. But despite like those indices that I pointed out, like being similar between the two years, I mean, if you look at the sea surface temperature pattern, um, currently it's, it's very different than it was in 2011, 20, 2012. Currently, like the really cold water is, is south of the equator and the, the, the cold water during the 2011, 2012 winter was more symmetrical around, around the equator. And, you know, that pattern matters, matters. And so when you look at these like indices that boil down a large swath of the ocean into one number, I mean, you can obscure the pattern. So all of, all of that is just to say that it's a little bit of a folly to try to think about analogs as being a useful way to think about the, the, the future. But Well, it's just nice to see different outcomes right? Like if every outcome was exactly the same and it didn't rain at all, then that would be one thing. But you know, we see, we see different outcomes. I, you know, I don't know. It's just like all, all the, all indications are that we're in a bad spot. It's probably not going to get a lot better. And, you know, we're gonna have to weather, I think some serious water situations in the spring and, you know, probably wildfire too. Uh, and then, you know, we'll be looking forward to monsoon season. <laughs> so the models are like looking out from to the seasonal for the next, you know, three months, February, March, April period, all of the models are picking up on, on, on La Nina's strength, not strength. It's, it's, it's grip. Persistence. Yeah. You know, looking under the hood of the North uh, American multi-model ensemble, every single one of their models has dry conditions over this three month period. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to say. What did you look at the short-term forecast, like the the seven to ten days, the the, the two-week forecast? Is there any is there any hope? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it. You know, it was supposed to rain today. I don't know if you remember this. Like a week a week ago, there was a a, a pretty a lot of the models had latched onto the system, and it just every day it got closer. It just kind of fell apart, and it's just a just a beautiful day out right now. The eight to 14 day, the week three, four, the one month and the, the three month, like you said, they all look like La Nina. So again, there could be another kind of unsettled weather pattern, you know, period of unsettled weather for the Southwest that maybe emerges in March. I don't know. I mean, like that's, it's possible, but like everything we've talked about too, that'll be helpful and beneficial. And if we can get some precip event, like even small ones, a little bit further in the spring, that'll help with the wildfire risk. The, where we're at right now and where, we, where we, we've just been, it's, it's just not enough to win the game at this point. Do you expect a couple more, like a week of, of unstable weather, there to be another like week period of unstable weather? I mean, is that, would you expect that um, just based on climatology? It's a 50-50 chance, you know, <laughs> like it has, there's no information to support. I mean, it's, it's absolutely possible. And I think if you looked at La Nina winters, probably half would have had something and half wouldn't. So like, I don't, I don't know if there's any information around it. I mean, it, there's nothing to say it couldn't happen, but is it possible for us to just kind of ride out the, the other couple of months with very little activity? Absolutely. Like we've seen that in the recent past. If we ended this winter with the amount that we've had thus far, it would be, it'd be a, 
boy, it would put a lot of pressure on an early monsoon to start. Uh, the fire risk would probably th- be through the roof. We're in a tough spot. This event, like if if we didn't have that event like a week ago, this conversation wouldn't be a lot different, but it would be, it'd be so much more dire. Like if we hadn't gotten that stuff, but it's just like that, that was great, but it's, we need three, four more of those to even start talking you know, digging a little deeper to see, you know, if we're, we're making big improvements. So when did you start paying attention to uh, Southwest climate? What year more or less? I'm just curious. So when I went to school here in 2000, so like 21 years ago. Do you remember a, a time in that last 20 years where it was similar or worse than this? Or is this in terms of impacts of, of, of dry conditions? Oh yeah, like 2001. Like, remember when it didn't rain for a hundred and some days? That was before my time. I mean, I, I've heard everybody talk about that, but I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I wasn't paying attention. To you know, 2017, 2018, more recently was bad. We had one pre, one substantial precip event. I keep talking about this one too. It was like right over Valentine's Day, and it was a really wet subtropical. It was like an atmospheric river, basically, that came straight up out of the south. That would have been in February of 2018, but that was a, that was one of the last La Ninas, and that was the record hot and dry fall. Then the early winter was also very warm and dry, and then it was weird because it started to actually rain again and snow in the upper elevations in like April, and the upper basin actually had a little bit of a catch up. It helped a bit, and you know it's like the upper basin, like we talked about, is I mean we're just kind of belaboring it now, but there's a little bit more room probably for some catch up up there. But it, it's going to take some pretty active weather pattern to really to hammer this. The southwest proper, like we are, it's I don't know, it's it's highly unlikely. 2017, 2018, I'm looking at it right now, and that basically just had two events all winter. Yes, right. Well, here's to hoping. <laughs> That's great. Wasn't it before I was the optimist and you were the pessimist? And like we've completely switched bodies. I don't understand what has happened. Well, I'm just grabbing on to anything. I'm just so beat down by it, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, part of me, to be honest, I like the tales, whatever those tales are like, I mean, it's just more interesting. And this is like, I'm intellectualizing this because I, I don't actually. And for the listener, that's tales of the distribution. Let's just be, be clear there. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, I trailed off there. I, I'm intellectualizing this because I don't actually make a living off of the the, the climate in a way that many people do. So the extreme conditions are just a little bit more interesting from, from my perspective, but yeah, I, I am not sure where to go. To this. <laughs> um, um, other than to say that uh, it at least gives us something to talk about. Although we would always find something to talk about. There's always some like uh, nuance in, I, I think the weather. So uh, maybe yeah. that's not such an important point, but. No, absolutely. And, and again, it's like, I'm, so cool that we had that that more recent weather come through the southwest because it, it was it was fantastic i mean it was it lifted my spirits absolutely and i do think it, it helped but man we need more yeah and i also think it's it's always interesting to, to to try to diagnose why why the the extremity happened why the extreme event happened more so than you know trying to characterize you know an average an average winter be a lot of learning that comes from this absolutely so Mike, anything else that you want to hit before signing off? 
I think we're in good shape. I'm just doing my mon monsoon countdown in my head. I don't quite know the days off the top of my head, but <laughs> we're getting closer. We need to have that on your, your website. It's like days to the monsoon countdown. Good idea. <laughs> All right. Well, it's good. Uh, good talking with you. And uh, we'll come back in a, in a month and uh, we'll report on on the state of the climate here in the Southwest. So thanks, everybody, for, for tuning in and have a, have a great rest of your month. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, everyone. It's 131 days. Ah, 131 days. That's not so bad. Yeah, it's like four months. It's weird to think that in just four months we're gonna go from like the weather today to 40 degrees warmer <laughs> how'd you like that introduction i got articulating your name like that mike crimmins <laughs> <It was> theatrical <laughs>